I'm uh, one of the leaders. I lead the team, uh, along with wonderful people like, like Mark. Isn't that encouraging? God's on the move. If you are feeling sick or ill, or you know anybody is, let's, let's keep praying. And let's have a time when we minister to each other at the end to, to pray for some of those things. So this morning, week three, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a woman. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Um, we have, in week one of this series, uh, we talked about the beginning of the story. Genesis 1, the absolute equality of men and women that God establishes right at the beginning of all things. Total equality and value, dignity and worth. Last week, we camped out in Genesis 2 and the story of Ruth and Boaz. And we saw saw that the equality of men and women runs alongside the distinctiveness of men and women. And we saw that there is a distinctive role that is given to, mandated to Adam, that of a sacrificial guardian, not least in the home and the church. And this week we're going to stay in Genesis 2 and a bit of Genesis 3 and Ruth and Boaz and we're going to see what does God say specifically to women. So I'm really excited about this morning. I I know that men don't really get to speak on these things very often and that's why it's important I go straight to the word of God. I want you to know it's not me and my ideas. I want us to mine the word of God for its timeless beauty. There's lots of things before I do that that could be said, of course, about all things to do with uh, equality and feminism and men and women and so forth. Let me just say a a couple of things and then we'll dive into what is going to really teach us and bless us this morning, which is the word of God. But I've got a little girl and she's almost two. uh, And largely speaking, I'm really glad that she's growing up in this time in history and in this part of the world. I'm very grateful for the fact that she now, in front of her, has all kinds of opportunities to be brilliantly educated, to to see what profession and and vocation God might be calling her to. She's more likely to be physically safe than perhaps ever before. If she gives birth, she's more likely to be physically safe to do that. She's now able to call out bad men in simple terms, I think, in these, in these modern times. I'm really grateful that that's the, the context in which she's growing up in. And I guess in that sense, feminism's a good thing. Where feminism uh, upholds the intrinsic value and worth and dignity of women and champions their flourishing and thriving, that's a good thing, and ultimately based in the common grace of the Bible. And as a dad to a daughter, I'm really glad for it. I'm very grateful for it, that people men and women of all shapes and sizes, have uh, pushed that. But I think there is, a, there is a danger around some of the conversation around equality and, and so on and so forth. I think the danger I would uh, suggest to you is that we still, in our conversation around equality, are still defining often women according to men. So before, maybe more traditionally, or in more traditional cultures, or even frankly in the teaching of the church sometimes, women have been defined as what they can't do. Men can do these things and women can't do these things. And we've now kind of flipped it around a bit and we're saying actually women are real true women and are equal women if they can do everything men can do. If we have women fighting on the front line in in war, for example, if we have 50% of women being CEOs, we'll have equality. And actually, although that kind of sounds a lot more appealing, and in many ways it, it is more appealing, it's still doing the same thing. It's still kind of defining women as what they can do in regards to men. We've just kind of flipped it around a little bit. And so that's why I think we need a series like this. We need the word of God. We need the timeless, wonderful link, Mark. That was seamless. 
timeless and beautiful words of God to let the Bible speak to us and shape us. The Bible's not written kind of battling with our modern ideas around equality and so forth. It is the timeless word of God for our good and for our blessing. If you're brand new to Christianity, let alone to church, and you're thinking, what is this whole thing all about? I do want to speak to you as well and say that you're almost certainly coming at these things from a different worldview, and that's okay. We're really glad that you're here. I'd encourage you to prioritize the person of Jesus in your exploration because what I'm going to talk about now, for us as a church, it comes from a conviction about who Jesus is. Because of our conviction around Jesus rising from death to life and affirming the Old Testament as the word of God and the whole Bible as the word of God, that's why we're going to base our understanding of these things on the word of God. If that's not where you're at, that's fine. The priority is, I would suggest, to consider whether Jesus rose from dead again. And for all of us at King's Church, we haven't got these things sorted. We know these things might grate on us for occasion. So we've been saying, let's all use the ABCs. Where these things might not be quite what we want to hear or what we agree with, let's use the ABC tools that I've given you. A is to ask God, what's the thing behind the thing? What's going on for me here? B is to take the Bible for ourselves, study it, mine it, own our responsibility to understand it, and C is to chat. Okay, so I want to be a family that chats about these things. We don't just go off in isolation and work these things through together. We do it in conversation, in community, mums and dads, brothers and sisters, talking to each other. Okay? Let's get into Genesis 2. Same passage as last week, but I'm also going to read a bit of Genesis 3 as well. Okay, so Genesis 2, parallel account of creation to Genesis 1, and it goes like this from verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then we go into chapter three. And tragically in chapter three, everything goes wrong. It's a bleak, bleak chapter. This, this beautiful design, this flourishing creation, this perfect intimacy between humans with each other and humans and creation, ultimately humans and God is wrecked by sin. God's judgment enters the world as a result. And in verse 15 of chapter three, God addresses the devil. He's in the form of a a snake. And God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head and you, the enemy, shall bruise his heel. 
to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply even your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. I love how Adam responds to seeing Eve for the first time. People say it's it's kind of the first song of the Bible. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's like, she's like me. All these animals that I've been looking at and naming one after another after another. Wow, she's like me. That's my response as my wife came down the bright, came down the came down the aisle on my wedding day. Wow. And then she, and then he says, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. It's like in the same uh, chorus he's saying, wow, she's like me, and she's not like me. Jen Wilkin uh, says this, and she's a fantastic. Uh, if you know Jen Wilkin, based in the States and Dallas, a fantastic writer and theologian, speaker. She says this, Adam's words are a hymn of thanksgiving, a joyful acknowledgement that one has arrived whose contributions will bring vital and necessary completeness to the Imago Dei, to the representing of the image of God. A hymn of thanksgiving. And just as an aside, I'd really recommend Jen Wilkins' writing and teaching. I know the, the women's group on a Thursday use her stuff. She's absolutely superb. Just let me mention some other women that I find hugely helpful and inspiring as they write and speak and teach uh, in the Christian world. There's a woman called Hannah Anderson that I think is superb, uh, fantastic theological mind. She writes and blogs. Um, Law Ferguson, L-O-R-E, again, uh, an American, writes both beautifully and biblically. Biblically and beautifully. She writes a lot about singleness. She recently was married as well and is not able to have children at the moment. She writes about infertility. She is a fantastic resource. Uh, Joe Vitale is an English, English uh, woman. We'll get one English, English woman in there. She's a part of the Ravi Zacharias ministry in, uh, in Oxford and just a superb apologist. It's really helped me to kind of think through the, the whys of our faith and how to explain and express our faith and give a reason for our faith. Uh, and indeed, one of the UK director of Ravi Zacharias ministry is coming to uh, Kingston next month. We're going to hold an event at Kingsgate uh, to be equipped in, in giving a reason for our faith. And finally, Kathy Keller. Uh, some of you often hear me mention Tim Keller. He's a huge spiritual hero to me. Uh, if it's possible, I think his wife has an even bigger brain uh, than, than, than he does. She is another fantastic resource, an older woman. She spent 30 years in New York uh, talking lots and lots to secular, professional, young New York women about what it is that the Bible has to say about a beautiful design of God. They are fantastic women that I'd recommend all of us read and engage with. Jim Walken said this, Adam's words are a hymn of thanksgiving, a joyful acknowledgement that one has arrived whose contributions will bring vital and necessary completeness to the Imago Dei. The question is, what, is, what are those unique contributions? What is the specific uh, commissioning, if you like, that God gives to Eve that he doesn't give to Adam? 
Last week we said that the commissioning to Adam is to be a sacrificial guardian. This week I want to put it to you that the commissioning to Eve is to be a life-giving helper. A life-giving helper. That's the big idea this morning. That there is a a particular and a beautiful mandate placed upon Eve to be a life-giving giver. What I want to to do to you, do for you I hope, is to unpack the theology of that initially from Genesis 2 and 3. And then dive into this wonderful story again of Ruth and Boaz to kind of see how this lives and see how it lives for every woman, whether you be single, married, with kids, without kids, older or younger. So it's kind of a, the theology we're going to gr- grapple with in Genesis 2 and 3, and then what does the story and the scripture and the theology of Ruth and Boaz have to teach us. So it's going to be good. Number one, helper. Life-giving helper. Let's go with helper first. It's right there in the text. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So kind of, let's, just, let's just call it out, because I think most of us feel it at least, that initially being described as a helper doesn't necessarily sound super inspiring. The men might be inspired by a sacrificial guardian, give my life for the God and for the truth and for the woman, and then the women are like, you, you're the helper. <laughs> so is that kind of like some sort of help made? Someone that kind of comes alongside and carries the drinks and mops Adam's brow? Is it a return to sort of 1950s domesticity? Is that what we want to sort of get back to? Women are kind of confined to certain areas? Well, no, because this is the timeless, beautiful word of God. So we're not trying to get back to a certain period in history. We're we're looking at something that's outside of and supersedes every cultural location and time in history. So what does this word mean? Some of you will know this, I've heard this many times before. Others of you are like, what? This is, this is new teaching. What does this word mean? Helper. Well, the, Hebrew, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, as many of you will know. And the word that we translate helper is a word that, is, that looks like ezer, E-Z-E-E-R, but is pronounced eitzer, eitzer. And this word eitzer is used 21 times in the Old Testament, twice here. Three more times to describe people bringing rescue and strength where it is lacking. And 16 times it's used to describe God bringing strength and help and support. And what I want to do to you is just read, do for you, is just read five, five examples of those 16. And it's interesting, we were praying beforehand, someone had a, had a word around this message bringing some redemption. And I just wonder whether as I read these pieces of scripture around what Eitzah is and what it means, I just my prayer is that God's going to redeem a little bit of maybe where we've misunderstood this. It's going to turn what's been maybe felt for ill and use it for good and for blessing. A redemption story. Here we go. You ready? Deuteronomy, first, Deuteronomy 33 verse 26 says this, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. Happy are you, O Israel. Verse 29, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your Eitzah, you could say, and the sword of your triumph. You get in the picture? Psalm 121, verses one to two. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my Eitzah come from? My Eitzah comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 20, verses one to two. The psalmist says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you Eitzah from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Finally, Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Eitzah, our help and our shield. Are you noticing the themes there? 
This word Eitzah is a word for God's vitally important, powerful acts of rescue and strength where it is lacking. I'll say that again. Eitzah is a word for God's vitally important, powerful acts of rescue and strength where it is lacking. This has got nothing to do with any inferior or subordinate role. I hope that word is being redeemed in these moments as the Holy Spirit works. Eve is Adam's vitally necessary, equally valuable, complementary partner for the joint commission that they've been given. And notice, this commission, that's week one, it can't, it can't begin without Eve. Yeah, the commission, week one, was that men and women are commissioned by God to rule together, to be viceroys, like kings and queens. They're commissioned to multiply together physically, but ultimately spiritually. And they're commissioned to be unified together, distinct and unified, representing the image of God. That can't happen without Eve. So listen to me. It's not like Adam is cracking on with the mission, doing an okay job, but just needs it kind of touching up a little bit. It can't start. It can't start until Eve steps onto the stage. And now there can be a king and a queen ruling and having Christ-like dominion. Now there can be multiplication physically and ultimately spiritually, image bearers of God. And now the triune God can be represented. Adam can't do that on his own. Yes, God is one, but he's three persons. He's distinct and united. And now we get these two that are distinct and are united as one flesh. And the image of God is beginning to spread and be demonstrated to the world. Do you notice God said it was not good (laughs) that man should be alone. He didn't mean it's not good to be single. I mean, it's not good that we've only got half, half the dance pair. It's not good that the mission can't start yet. There's no ruling. There's no multiplying. There's no being unified. It's not good. Like, do you hear that? In the beauty of creation, it's amazing. It's perfect. It's everything that you and I have ever dreamed of, the world being and looking like, total harmony and peace and abundance and life and beauty and creativity. And God says, there's something not good. <sighs> And then Genesis 1 tells us that when Adam and Eve both step on to the stage of creation, Genesis 1 says, now it's very good. So I want you to hear that, men and women, what God is putting on the story of creation. Now it's a mission and a response that we said last week that man has a, a kind of bottom line sacrificial responsibility for. But it's a responsibility he can't carry and a mission he can't do until Eve comes onto the stage. Number two, as well as being a helper, an Eitzah, she is a life-giving Eitzah, a life-giving helper. Let me show you what I mean in Genesis 3, which, my goodness, when you read it afresh, like all is one, as I've been doing over and over again, it's it's bleak, like your heart just wrenches as this beauty, this amazing design gets ruptured and scarred. The judgment of dust and toil is issued. We see that a a future of oppressive, domineering, abdicating men emerges. We see a struggle between the sexes ensuing. Women longing to be, women longing to be cherished and, 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 and protected and encouraged and yet being dominated and ruled over. The great enemy, death, not supposed to be there, and death emerges onto the stage. Like, it is bleak. And yet, there is this glimmer of hope. 
this little shard of light that shines onto the stage in Genesis 3. I don't know if you saw it, because it's given to Eve. The little, on the stage, this little shard of light, it shines onto her. Genesis 3, verse 15. God says to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God says, in this bleak moment, he says to, to Eve, someone is going to come from you who will be bruised, who will have his heel bruised by the, by the enemy, but who will bruise the head of the enemy, who will crush the enemy. Someone, there's going to be life and victory. The gospel's coming. Like this little whisper, and it's given to Eve. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This is in the midst of the fall. Adam's, Adam's, Adam's promise, dust, <laughs> toil, sweat. The promise over Eve, to be the mother of all living. It's a promise of life. Adam says to his wife, you're a life giver. <sighs> oh, for more husbands to speak words of life over their wives. Oh, for more wives to speak words of life over their husbands, but this life-giving promise is given to Eve. And it's like, there's something in those two verses that, that God is saying to Eve, like, as you carry physical life in the womb, as you suffer as that takes place, as you suffer the pains and the agonies of childbirth, out of that suffering, out of that pain, life is gonna come. Yes, physical life, but ultimately, gospel life, serpent head crushing life, victory is gonna come. It's a promise of life that is given to her. And you see this over and over again through the story of the Bible. You see women bringing spiritual life, first of all, through physical life and also through non-physical way. In other words, through bearing children and through other ways than bearing children. Let me give you some examples. The promise of Eve to bear physical life and look what it creates. Sarah, not supposed to have a baby has this baby, and it's about so much more than her being happy and honored. It's Isaac, the promise to Abraham, it's the beginning of the people of God, a whole people that would trace their lineage back to this one boy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What about Moses? A woman gives birth to him, a woman rescues him, a woman takes him out of the river, a woman, raise, women raise him, all the way through, until he loses his rag. What about uh, Hannah? If you ever wonder whether the Bible has a special place for the heart cries of a mother-to-be or a mother that yearns to be, you read that chapter. This woman's crying out, crying out in prayer and in fasting for the desires of her heart to be met and God meets them in that instance with a son. But she doesn't say, great, I'm done, physical life. Her biggest goal is for spiritual life. She dedicates him to, to God's service. and His name's Samuel, and he goes about finding a guy called David who becomes the king of Israel and begins the lineage of Jesus Christ herself because one woman who gave birth to physical life had her goal and her eyes set upon the spiritual life, the victory, the ultimate promise that she was inheriting from Eve. Think about Elizabeth and Mary. They weren't supposed to be having children. Elizabeth's much older, and Mary's teenage girl are so unlikely and yet suddenly they find themselves blessed with and giving birth to physical life but, but for greater ends than that that John the Baptist might pave the way 
with a message of repentance for Jesus Christ to come with a message of grace. Let me just show this little image that I just came across. It just, it spoke to me, maybe just as a man, I don't know, but it, but it spoke to me as to what kind of takes place through the story of the Bible. That there's this promise given to Eve, and yes, it's all it's mixed up with the tarnish and the horror and the tragedy of the fall and the eaten apple and things. But there's a promise given to her that one from you is going to crush the enemy's head. You're going to bring life. And eventually we, we, we get to Mary and this life emerges. And it's not just physical life. It's for a greater spiritual purpose. But you also have plenty of Eves, if you like, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, who are not giving birth to physical life and yet are bringing about the same mighty spiritual ends. Deborah, who leads the armies of Israel to victory. Esther, who rescues the people of God from a decree genocide. Like if ever there was Eitsa taking place, it is Esther. Rahab, she's not supposed to be involved. There she is, risking her neck to free these spies so they can come back and break the walls of Jericho down and the people of God can flourish and spiritual life goes forth. In the Testament, Philip's unmarried daughters who prophesy and speak the heart of God. Lydia, almost certainly single, maybe bereaved. All the women that Paul lists in Romans 16, none of which he refers to uh, in terms of physical life, but keep saying over them, spiritual life has come. Let me just land this now. That's, I guess that's some of the theology. Let me just land this in the, one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible, which is the story of, of Ruth and Boaz. And we told it last week. And to use the stage analogy, we kind of shone the spotlight on Boaz, and I want to now shine the spotlight on Ruth. And I think you'll see, whether you're single or married, with children or without children, she embodies something of the timeless design placed upon Eve. She's this young woman in a place called Moab, which is a, a neighboring district to, to Judah, and she suffers the tragedy of losing her husband. And indeed, her mother-in-law also loses her husband and her other son. So Naomi loses her husband and her two sons, one of whom is married to Ruth. And Ruth's got no reason to do anything else than stay in Moab and try and rebuild her life. And yet, something, I don't know what it is, something in, in what she sees in Naomi, in what she sees in Naomi's God, compels her to go with Naomi back to Judah, away from her own homeland. She says these amazing words in Ruth 2, 16. She says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there will I be buried. And so they travel. They go on this journey back to Judah, back to a town called Bethlehem that you may or may not have heard of. Pops up again a thousand years later. And Naomi is just desolate. She's utterly grief-stricken. She says these haunting words. She says, I, I went away full, I've come back empty. Just totally desolate. And Ruth is committed to bringing the life-giving Eitzah of God to Naomi. Ruth now follows the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. And she sets about basically doing hard manual labor. She rolls up her sleeves, she gets into a field, she just goes behind the paid male laborers and just scoops up whatever leftover barley that she can to try and feed her desolate mother-in-law. 
She works from dawn until dusk, providing for Naomi. This is, this is Eitzah's strength. This is exactly what Eitzah is. Strength, rescue, power, where it is lacking and where it is needed. Life is coming because of this Eitzah's strength. Literally, Naomi's life is being sustained physically. Emotionally, this desolate, depressed woman is being cared for and, and nurtured and, 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 had, and called out value in. Physical life, spiritual life, emotional life is coming. And yes, the, the life-giving helper is given to Eve, and particularly in the context of marriage. But here it is taking place. Ruth is not waiting to live out this unique calling. Here it is in action. Single woman, without children, bringing the life-giving Eitzah of God. And though she doesn't know it, changing the world a little bit at a time. Strength, courage, faithfulness, grace. Blessing comes, security comes, dignity comes. The people of God, in simple terms, are being blessed because of her life-giving Eitzah. And of course, that's the calling to every person in the church, isn't it? All of us, men, women, married, single, is to bring you know, the, the life-giving help, strength of God to each other. But I want to talk specifically about Ruth's, about those of you who are single. Can I just speak to you as a, as, as a brother, as a friend? If you desire to be married and a mother, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's one the Father invites you to come to him in prayer about, like Hannah. But can I say this, because I love you. As you pray for a husband and desire a husband, please don't wait around for a husband. Let me just say that again. As you pray for a husband and desire a husband, please don't wait around for one And that can happen in overt and subtle ways. But the thing is this, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? The biggest epic, cosmic, eternal adventure of all time has kicked off. And you, I'm speaking particularly to the single women of the church, are needed to play your part. It's kind of the same thing as Genesis. The mission can't really get going until you step in, until you step onto the stage. The people of God need you. The mission of God needs you. And at King's we've been blessed by, by many women who've lived that out. Might even embarrass one or two of them. I'm thinking of Anna, Anna Harris, for example, who's here for a number of years. Most of the time she wasn't married or a, a, a mother. Just live this out year after year after year. Life-giving Eitzah all the time. Strength, courage, passion, faith, grace, gentleness, wisdom. Louise Richmond just doing exactly the same now. All the time. Up by the way, I think now, probably with our kids. All, all through the life of the church, not waiting around, absolutely smashing it for the kingdom of God. Daki Buschitzer, who's done exactly the same thing for a number of years. I know she's found a fellow now, but she's not married, so she still counts. <laughs> so just live this out. I want to honor you, Becky, genuinely. I want to live this out. Just got caught up with the wonder of this epic adventure called extending the kingdom of God and doing life such that you make an eternal difference. I'm so caught up with the only perfect spouse there is, whose name is Jesus Christ. And so filled up with that perfect spousal love that you can then live with courage and faith and grace, kindness and wisdom. So it's happening, and I want to encourage all of us, as men and women, as single and married, to spur each other on in that way. Back to Ruth. 
I'll leave the ABC moments for you for a bit later. Back to Ruth. Remember her? She's working her socks off, making a massive difference, blessing the people of God, bringing life-giving Aitzer. And then she discovers that this field that she's working her socks off in is owned by this guy called Boaz, who, as it turns out, is related to uh, Naomi's husband, which under Jewish law at the time, under God's good and kind law, means that he is what's called a kinsman redeemer, which in simple terms means he has a responsibility to ensure that any widows in his wider family are cared for. Specifically, as it turns out, through land, through marriage, and even providing an heir for. And this is where, I guess, Ruth gets fascinating, or even more fascinating, because she obviously wants to be married. She clearly wants to be married. I know that because she pretty much proposes marriage to him. If you read the story, like it's quite startling how she goes about kind of saying, I'd love to marry you one day. You read the story for yourself if you haven't already. And what I also recognize about her is she, I think, recognizes in Boaz that is a godly guardian type guy. That's a, he's living out something of the beautiful, timeless design. He's not married, but as we said last week, he's guarding his garden. He's guarding the truth. He's prepared to guard her. And she sees something in him. She's like, that is a godly guardian. And much to Boaz's surprise, read the text, she doesn't go for one of the younger guys. She's not interested in, in like some lad that can shave. <laughs> not interested in, in some lad that will say, I'll come to church every now and then. I call myself a Christian. She's not interested in that. She wants a godly guardian guy who knows what it is to take responsibility, to lay his life down, to guard the garden, to guard the truth, and even to guard her. And Boaz is like, really, me? And then she basically proposes marriage. And they're married, which Boaz kind of also initiates and helps to make happen. And it's just beautiful. It's Genesis 2 again, all over again. They come together as one flesh. Boaz holds fast to Ruth, as Genesis 2.24 mandated. And the life that comes from this marriage in all kinds of ways First of all, the image of God is now represented in a particularly wonderful way. The plurality and the distinction of man and woman coming together to hold fast in one union. The triune God is being represented. And of course, they don't know it, but they're, they're looking down the tunnel of time and they're speaking prophetically of the ultimate picture that marriage is supposed to paint for us, that of Christ and the church. As they come together, different but united and they're bearing the image in some degrees of the image of God, the triune God. They're telling us, they don't know it, they're telling us a thousand years later, the marriage is going to really mean this. Christ coming together with the church in wonderful union. Husbands laying their lives down in sacrificial love and care for their wives, and wives gladly submitting to that and bringing their full eight set of the party to the kingdom of God goes forth. Life comes Physical life comes. They have a son. His name's Obed. I'm running over that in case we have a son. <laughs> Carol doesn't know that, but it just came into my head. <laughs> they have a son. And the life that comes because of this son. Like, listen to what the women in Bethlehem say about Naomi when this son is born to Ruth and Boaz. I'll read it to you, Ruth 4, verse 14. The women said to Naomi, who remember was desolate before, she said, I am empty, I have nothing. 
The women said to Naomi, Ruth 4, 14, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Can you hear the words of life? Naomi's like, my life has changed. This single woman who was just smashing it for the kingdom of God, what a life-giving eighter she was. And then she's come together and carried on doing that with her husband. This son has come. And that means that I've got an heir to, to protect me and to provide land. It means that shame has been replaced by honor. All kinds of life just spills over into Naomi's life because of this little boy. And then Obed has a son who has a son, his name is David, who goes on to become the king of Israel. And then a thousand years later, from the line of Ruth and Boaz and Obed and David, this guy called Joseph comes onto the scene. Godly guardian, I think. Hears that his wife is pregnant, nothing to do with him. Thinks, I wanna run for the hills. And God speaks to him. And what does he do? Takes responsibility. She says, okay, I'll do this. I'll guard her. I'll, I'll, I'll cherish her and actually elevate her. She's kind of the hero of this story. And from them comes, of course, Jesus Christ, the, the Redeemer himself. Why? Well, at least in part, because this woman called Ruth left the foreign land, was prepared to be a refugee, had no status at all in that culture, foreign, Widowed, childless. And she just gave herself to the people of God and the kingdom of God. And then she got married and she carried on doing that. And the life-giving Eitzah of God worked through her in this most wonderful way. And Jesus Christ traces his lineage back to that woman and to that man. And it's, it's, it's always, Jesus is always the place that we land and there's a reason for that. He is what binds us together. And of course, in the Bible, Jesus is the bridegroom. Men, we know that, right, don't we? Only one perfect bridegroom, not you or me. We, men, we play the the part of the bride. All of us, men and women, we play the part of the bride. All of us need this bridegroom to pursue us and come after us and demonstrate his love for us. We'd love to think with a Proverbs 31 bride, wouldn't we? Full of good works and worthy of a, of a bridegroom like Jesus, we're not. Outside of Christ, before God comes to find us, we're anything but the Proverbs 31 woman. We're the rebellious, adulterous, full of shame and disgrace wife. And Jesus comes to find us and he pursues us and he initiates love for us. He says, you are worthy, every one of you men and women. You do have value. You do have a future. You do have promises on you and I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna robe you in white so that you're clean and holy and righteous and spotless and without blemish. And I'm gonna unite you to me, every single one of you. And then you'll know the perfect spousal love that every single one of you craves. All of us play the part of the bride. There's only one perfect bridegroom, his name is Jesus. And he's done so much for us. And as we'll look at later on in this series, we'll tap into more about what he's done to to bring marriage and to bring singleness and to bring the church family to something beautiful. But I'm not gonna steal any more thunder than I have of those people that are preaching. 
I just really felt in, in praying for this, and uh, indeed, Carol and I going through this message together last night. Um, she saved you from a couple of complete grenades, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but more seriously, she's reworked this message, I think, in a wonderful way. And we were just praying, and we just wanted there to be some, some time, to, of, very simply, of, of prayer for each other. And I just really felt there was a, a moment here, just after three parts of this series, long way to go here, with a break in between, but just felt there was a moment here, having described the total equality of men and women and the distinctiveness of them as seen in the Bible, just to, to have a time of praying for each other and just blessing each other. I think particularly men praying for men and women praying for women and just speaking truth over each other, confessing lies that perhaps have been believed or that we've spoken over each other and just letting the truth do its work and set us free to be the men and women we're called to be so that the mission can kick off in an even more amazing way. Um, so here's what I'm gonna do. Ellen and the band, could you join me? And in the moment, I'm gonna ask everyone that's done the prayer training at some point, unless you particularly want to be prayed for, I'll ask you in a moment just to come and stand to my left to be ready to pray. So if you're new to church or newer to this church, these are people who've spent some time just being trained as to how to pray for you, how to bless you, how to prophesy over you, speak God's heart for you. And if you are a woman or a man, which is all of us, I would just love to invite you to, to receive some prayer, to step forward, and just to, tap, just to receive something of the commissioning and the honoring of your maleness and your femaleness. The world's got so much to say about what it means to be a man or a woman. God's got something beautiful to say to you. He's got a mission for you. He's got unbelievable love to lavish it fresh upon you this morning. He's got dignity and honor, grace to give to you this morning. He's got people that would love to prophesy over you and speak something of God's heart to you. Let's do that in twos if we can, guys. If you're sick in any way, Andrew and, and Mark and others would love to pray for you. We see more of these healing testimonies. So can we just all stand and those of you who are going to offer some prayer, could you come and join me, please, to my left? Just a little bit of space out here. Um, Anne and the band are going to pray for us, and, uh, play for us in a moment. And just a bit, bit of courage. Just if you're brand new, we've been here for 20 years. Just come and, if you want to be prayed for for anything at all, just come and join these wonderful men and women just to receive the blessing and the commissioning and the, the grace of God. If any of you guys want prayer, like just crack on and grab somebody. Model what we're about to see. You don't all need to wait in a line. We can grab some prayer for each other. We're just going to do this thing. We're just going to do this thing and minister to each other. Ellen will do whatever she feels led to do. Might be some prophetic words that come. But just, I would just love to invite you just to begin, if you wish to, to begin making your way down. Grab someone to pray for you. If at some point you want to just sit and just enjoy the space and talk to God or pray with the person next to you, that's fine as well. But I do feel like there's a moment in this series, there's a moment for us as a family just to really help some things land in our hearts that we might go out of these doors, men and women ready to extend the kingdom of God. So we're not going to sing, but you can sit, you can stand, receive prayer, reflect, give prayer. And if you feel like God's speaking to you for for the church come and chat to Mike and Katie at the front let me just pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you're here thank you that you love us thank you that you've only got good things for every man and every woman here and so we just speak the goodness of God 
the truths of God. I pray that anything that was just of me would be forgotten and dismissed. We just want what's of you to land in our hearts, to connect our minds and our hearts and to empower us and comfort us and bless us and commission us. Help us to be family now. Help mums and dads and brothers and sisters to minister to each other, to bless each other.